Well, good morning, good morning. I was serious about like worship this morning with, with movement. If you feel like you need to like move around a little bit during worship, that's okay. That's okay to move around and sway back and forth. As long as one foot's on the ground all the time, right? That's how I grew up. So, And then just one, in those quiet times of worship, I think it was Joanna this morning. Was that you that had that like heavenly little echo thing at one point? <laughs> it was just very, it was like, wow, this is so good. Just to be able to even sing in the spirit like that is, is good. Well, hey, I'm excited to be with you this morning. We are starting a brand new series called We Are Foursquare. We Are Foursquare. And no, it's not that game. It's not that game that back in the day, oh, nice toss. See, anybody else can toss? See, look, Jewel, just give me a good toss there. That's good. Anybody over here want to toss? This is kind of reminding me back of the day of the, uh... all right, you're out. That reminds me of the, thank you, Ken. That reminds me of the dodgeball days. Did anybody play dodgeball? We used to call it sock em, or soak em. <laughs> well, because, you know, soak em back in the day was kind of like the uh, non-lethal hunger games, you know. You just kind of went after the weak and like, okay, that person cannot move, and so I'm going to just chuck this ball and pelt him as hard as I can. Now, these are, the headshots were illegal, but not when I was in school. Yeah, back when I was in school, headshots were legal. So, I mean, we'd have this, a ball like this. And this one is a little harder to throw. Like, I, I think I could throw it to Amanda. Amanda's like, don't do it. I can throw it to Pete. Pete. Pete, you can catch, right? Pete can catch. Just look at that. Now, can Pete throw? Oh, yes, he can. So we'd play a ball with this size. Now, the hard thing was sometimes there's a ball that was a little bit bigger, and there's no way you could palm it. So you just kind of had to throw it like that. And so you kind of felt a little safe. But the scary thing about, like, when I was in school, they had, they, so they had three different size balls. They had this size, a bigger one, and then they had one about that big. Those were mean balls because you could really grab onto it, and you could really sail that ball, and they did make great headshots because back in the day, headshots were legal. Not anymore. You know, we are Foursquare. It's not the Foursquare game that Wildfire has brought back. They actually will chalk lines out here and play Foursquare, the game that was invented in the 1950s. I need somebody to hold this for me for the rest of the Sunday. Anybody? There you go. Nice job. So it wasn't that game. It's, it's Foursquare. We are Foursquare. And I was talking with somebody recently, and they said, hey, you're finally done. You're finally done with the book of Acts. 19 weeks, and what are you doing next? I said, well, hey, we're going to do this series on We Are Foursquare, what, and, and what is Foursquare? And so I kind of went through, you know, what the cross and what, what the dove and what the cup and what the crown meant, and they're like, oh, we've never heard that before, and they've been going here for like six years. And I was like, all right, well, we're going to talk about it. So We Are Foursquare, we are part of something way bigger than just RCC. Uh, Foursquare is a denomination. Okay, well, I don't know what you feel about denominations, but I like denominations because it helps us together do something really big and global, also keeps us safe, and we have partners that we can partner with. I don't believe that denominations should stop at the denomination line. I think we should serve Jesus together as churches. 
that's really big for me. And I know we, sometimes we believe different things and we interpret this a little bit differently, but let's just make it about Jesus and we'll be okay. And we just want people to see people get saved, touched, filled by him, and so they can live for him and their life and their eternity is to- totally different from now on. So the name of our denomination for years and years and years was the International Church of the Four Square Gospel. That's a long tagline, the International Church of the Four Square Gospel. So in the recent years, they've, kind of, they've changed it to just the Four Square Church, the Four Square Church. And so that's what we are. We are part of the denomination. We are Bible-believing believers. We worship God the Father through the Son. And we follow Jesus and his example that he set. And then we are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, which he promised us. For those of us that follow him, he says, I promise that I want to send a helper to you. Because we cannot live this life on our own. And, so, and Jesus knew that, so he said, I want to send a helper to you and for you to help you live every single day for me. And that's the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk over the next four weeks, not including today, about these four subjects. Jesus as the cross, as Savior. Jesus, the dove, as baptizer with the Holy Spirit. The cup, Jesus, our healer. And then the crown is Jesus, our soon-coming king. Now, I just want to let you know I'm kind of an open book, so I have no secrets, and I'm really excited about this for us as a church, to talk about these, Jesus as Savior, Baptizer, Healer, and King, but I'm also a little terrified at the same time, because sometimes these are tough topics. First and last one, easy for me. We all need saved. We all need rescued, and Jesus came and died for Died for our sin. Easy. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. No one like him. Easy. And his promise to us is that he is coming back. Now, we've been saying that for a long time. But he is coming back. I remember in the 70s, that's all we talked about. That Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And I was a teenager back then. I was like, wait, so I can drive. I want to be able to drive. And then, wait, I want to get married, you know. But now, on this side of that, Jesus, you can come back anytime you want, anytime. But the middle two are a little hard sometimes because, you know, just being real with you. I mean, I believe we just read and and studied and dug through the book of Acts. We as a denomination believe that what we read in this book is true and that God still does this to those things that we read about in here, that he still does them today. That when we read in the book of Acts that there's a group of believers that went and did what Jesus told them to do, and they waited and they prayed and they spent time, and he empowered them with the Holy Spirit. And they changed the world. That 120 people, we are here today because of the 120 that were totally filled and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they went out to the ends of the earth and share the good news with everybody they came in contact with. But these sometimes are tough, because when we talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit, our denomination, we call ourselves Pentecostal. So what does Pentecostal mean? That means we simply believe 
everything in this book. We believe that what happened in Acts chapter 2 happens today, that he does fill and empower believers in him with the power of the Holy Spirit to live life every single day. The problem, and that's why I said sometimes talking about these is going to be tough, the problem with Pentecostalism is sometimes we focus on one thing. We focus on one gift. There are many gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us that we'll get into when we talk about it. That we have the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We have those things. He's given those things to us. But the problem is sometimes when we're Pentecostal that we focus on one gift. Do you know what that gift is? It's tongues. And it trips us up. And so sometimes we go and we go to a meeting and, and they're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they make it so much on tongues. If you go forward and get prayed for like, God, I desire, I want this. This is, and I want everything you have for me, which I believe that we should always be in that state. We should always say to God, God, I want all that you have for me. If God, you want to pour out gifts to me, I will take them. But what if that I don't get that gift? And so then you, people in the past have gone away like even more damaged than when they came because they're like, God doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. I went up for one gift. He didn't give it to me. And they don't realize that, man, you were poured into and God gave you all kinds of other gifts. You might just not have that one. But the Bible says that he gives as he determines. And he gives you what you need for the time you need it. I'm preaching two weeks ahead. So that's sometimes the stumbling block when we start talking about Pentecostals and, and we sometimes we focus. And there are some Pentecostal groups, even denominations, that say, unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. To me, that's radical, and I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. It is one of the gifts, but like I said, we're going to get into it. The next one is tough sometimes, too, when we see the cup. And that just means, Jesus, your healer. Jesus, your healer. Do I believe that Jesus heals today? Yes. You know, as a four-square church, we are required to have Hebrews 13.8 on the wall somewhere in our church. Do you guys know that? And so if you walk out these doors and then turn around and look up on the barnwood, we have this really pretty, you can barely read. <laughs> I apologize if anybody did that in this room and made that, but. <laughs> okay, it wasn't Annie. Okay, then we're safe. Okay. It's very beautiful. I really like it. And it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means Jesus still does that. It's in Hebrews. He still, if he did it in here, that he's still doing those things today. That's what was written in, in the day. And then he's forever. He's the same God. That means he's still saving, filling, healing people today. And that's what Foursquare. But sometimes when we talk about healing, it's a tough one because what about, hey, I prayed for my friend and they, they passed away. God, why didn't you heal them? You know, I, I prayed for my friend and they weren't healed, their knees. You know, so sometimes when I, I see this, some people have this, you know, can God heal today? And does God heal today? Yes, I believe that. 100%. But at the same time, I've had seven knee surgeries. And I've had my esophagus worked on because I can't swallow food. Do I believe that God could heal? Yes. But sometimes he chooses not to. Why? I don't know why. 
I'll tell you from my personal experience, again, I'm preaching two weeks ahead. Actually, I won't even be there on this Sunday. Um, somebody else is sharing that Sunday. I guess I can preach a little bit about it. It's because I, like personally, I would not be the person I am today if God hasn't brought me through the things that he's brought me through. With my own personal healings and non-healings, and then you guys know our story a little bit. I didn't even ask Cleo for permission, but I'll ask her for forgiveness. But, you know, 31 years ago, Cleo had a massive headache, and we didn't know what it was. And then she couldn't feel her left side, and we freaked us out. I'm in our house, and we're, we're young. In our early 20s, she's 22 years old. We just had a baby boy. He's six months old. Just learned to set up, so he's setting up in our living room, and I'm calling 911. You know, and the doctors say, we think it's a pinched nerve, and if you've heard this before, I apologize, but I'll just say it again. And they said, but we should do a CAT scan first, and so they did a CAT scan and realized that she had um, internal bleeding in her brain, and we're going to admit her to ICU, and the neurosurgeon will be in and talk to you in, in, within the hour. And then he left, and I'm just like, and so for 31 years, personally, I prayed daily for my wife to be healed. Has he healed Cleo? I believe he has, because if you talk to her neurosurgeons and her doctors, every time we go in, they just look at her and just say, it's a miracle. Now, has he completely healed her? No. But I'll just say this, that God has used that in our lives to make her who she is, but also to make me who I am, and then to make our son the awesome young man of God that he is because of what God has brought us through. And so when we talk about healing, sometimes it's really difficult because what if I go forward and I get prayed for and I'm not, I'm not healed? God still loves you. He still cares for you. He still has plans for you. His plan is not to heal you right now in that moment, but his plan is to give you grace enough in that moment that you can handle it. And then you're going to need grace in that next moment, and you're going to need grace again in that next moment. So these sometimes are tough issues, but God still does these things today. He still saves, fills, and heals today. And his promise is true that he will come back someday. So I'm excited about this series. Um, it's going to be interesting to get into, but I'm excited about it. How did this all start? Where did Foursquare come from? Where did, you know, this whole Pentecostal idea? Well, what happened was people were just tired of being, going to church. So it happened 120 years ago. It started happening in a Welsh town in England, Wales. And there's this group of people that were just like, I am tired of being just going to church and just kind of doing the churchy thing. Standing up when I'm supposed to stand up, sit down when I'm supposed to sit down, read the words and sing the songs I'm supposed to sing, and then go home and nothing's changed. And so there's this desperation for more of God, and they just wanted more of God. But there's also this realization that started stirring up inside of them, saying, man, we realize, our eyes have been open. we realize that there are people dying and going to hell and we care more about some of our social issues than we do for eternal issues. 
And so that began to stir, and the church, this group in this church started saying, we really do care about people's souls more than we care about the social issues. And then they themselves were being so convicted by their own sin and the, the things they were doing outside the walls of the church that they all started for asking for forgiveness, and God was forgiving them of their sin, and, and he was cleaning up the church, and all this stuff happened. It was such a massive movement of God in that community that it radically changed everything about that community. It's a coal mining community. It was a coal mining community. And one of the curious things, if you study that revival, is they had to train mules to pull carts from the depths of the coal mine up, up out. Well, back before they knew Jesus and before their lives were touched and changed, they would motivate the mules with certain words, and, they, and, and they'd beat them. While well, all these men that worked in the coal mines are getting saved, and God was changing their heart, he was actually changing their tongues. So now they weren't saying the words that they were saying before, and they didn't want to beat these animals because they knew that was wrong. So they literally had to retrain the mules on how to pull the carts because the mules expected to be beaten and to be yelled and screamed at. And these guys now aren't doing that. So I just thought, wow, how interesting. God, you moved in people's lives so much that you changed just how they responded, not even just to people, but how they just responded to their world and, and even to animals. I thought it was fantastic. So that's happening in the 1904. Meanwhile, God is stirring in the hearts of people here in America, and there's a young man um, back in Topeka, Kansas, and that's where he started, and he worked his way out to Southern California uh, and to this fa very famous street. Now they actually named a college after that whole movement. It's Azusa Street. It happened in 1906. And there's a man named William Seymour. Now, most people say who talked with him, who spent time with him, said he was the most humble man that they'd ever come in contact. And this is why he was a young African-American man in a time where segregation was very real, even in the church. And when he had the desire to go to Bible school and to learn and to how to follow God and how to preach and how to share good news with people, he wasn't allowed in the classroom because he was black. And so they made him sit outside the door with the door barely cracked open to take notes and to study. When they'd have their prayer times at the altar, he wasn't allowed to come in and pray with them. He had to pray in the hall by himself. And yet that man chose not to take that on as, as a grievance but he said, I don't care how man treats me. I desire more of God. God, I want you. So God touched his heart, changed him, moved him to Southern California. He begins to, to pray. And he, this says that like, he prayed and studied seven hours a day. God started doing this massive movement in uh, Southern California. It lasted for years. In fact, reporters were showing up and things were happening. They say in the Welsh revivals and even in some of the Southern California revivals that people would be like just walking by, they would leave the taverns and bars and be walking by the church and the presence of God was so strong they would fall down outside the church and be this, have this whole new awareness of God and ask God to forgive them. And they would come in and ask, how do I follow Jesus? You know, and I pray that all the time as the cars go by. I, if you pray with me very often, You'll hear me pray that prayer. God just says, 
as cars go by, as people walk by, we'll all see multiple people, even in this hour, walking by the front of our church out there on the street. And I pray, God, would you touch their hearts? Would they feel your presence when they go by this property? Because this property has been dedicated to you. So that was all happening. Meanwhile, in Ontario, Canada, there's this young girl that was born and being raised, and her name was Amy Simple McPherson. So the Foursquare Church was started by a woman named Amy Simple McPherson. She was perfect. Tongue in cheek. If you've ever studied, anybody ever study the life of Amy Simple McPherson? Like just read some stuff? She was not perfect. She was way out there. So born uh, to a, in a, in a family where the, when, when the, her mom and dad got married, check this out, girls, dad was 50 and she was 15. I know, first service, I heard a few people say, gross. So they, they got married and had this little girl. She grows up, she's about 17 years old. She grew up in the church. Her dad was Methodist. Her mom was Salvation Army. So she kind of grew up in that hole. So she was dedicated, but as a teenager, it was right when the whole Darwin thing started happening and evolution and she was really drawn to it. And she was like, I think I want to follow science. She happened to stumble into this revival meeting with this, this guy with the last name of Simple was there. And he speaks. And she decides to follow the God of science and gives her life to Jesus. She's filled by, with the power of the Holy Spirit in that meeting. And a year later, they get married so now in 2009, they move and, and move to Chicago, and they study under a man who actually was part of the Azusa Street mission. So that's how Foursquare rolls in. Foursquare, Amy has that foundation of the Azusa Street revival built into her, and they realize that the gospel is all of these things. They have a passion for missions, so her and her husband go to China I don't know what you guys think about China, but you know what? We as believers should pray for China. And what's going on in China, I've been doing a little study, and it's, they're trying to wipe out, right now, they're trying to wipe out all religion in China. A lot of times we talk about religious persecution for Christians, but now it's all religion. So it is brutal. What, like right now, what's happening in China. So we should be praying for China and be praying for people in China, that they would know Jesus. They go to China. They're there in 1910. She gets pregnant, has a baby, and then he dies from malaria. So now 20 years old in a foreign country. She comes home. Now she's a 20-year-old widow with a little baby, single mom. She tries to settle down and, and just... I'll just be the housewife, do the housewife thing. But she has this call from God. I have to preach. I need to go out and do. She has a car. She paints right on the side of it. It's the gospel car, gospel mobile. And she just starts going out and sharing Jesus with people. They set up tents, and people are getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, and this promise that Jesus is coming back. And that's 
what she's doing. And she begins, she ends up settling in Southern California, and she begins uh, the Four Square Church, Angelus Temple in 1923. That building is still there today. There's still a church there. It's one of the biggest Four Square churches. I was actually I had the privilege, we were on vacation one year in Southern California, so we said, hey, we're going to church, and we, we went there. And there's still a room. They have this room with glass that you can walk in and see that's filled with, filled with crutches, canes, and walkers, and wheelchairs that people have come and gotten healed and left their stuff at the church. And so they just put it in a closet, and now it's in this glassed-off case. So that's what she did. She, she did all these things. So she's born and raised uh, in church and doing all this stuff. Was she perfect? No. If you study her life, she wasn't perfect, but God still uses the imperfect, right? 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says this. So Paul is talking about the Corinthians kind of thought they were all of that. They just thought they were the best of the best, that there was no one like them. They're smart. They're successful. They're noble. They just had this identity of there's nobody better than us. Kind of like the United States, <laughs> right? And Paul tells them, you know, God chose and chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So 1 Corinthians 1.27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So God uses the broken as a testimony of what he can do. God uses the weak as a testimony of what he can do through each one of us to change the world and to help people come to know him. She was not perfect, but God works through unperfect people. God works through people who have a willing heart. So she received this vision. She's, she's doing these revival meetings, and she receives this vision. She's studying the Ezekiel chapter 1, and if you ever read Ezekiel chapter 1, it's much like reading the book of Revelation kind of in the middle. And it's got the wheels, and it's got the, uh, these animals. And she sees this vision of these creatures that have, um, in, in Ezekiel, a description of, of a face. They have four faces. It's a face of a, a human. It's a face of an ox. It's a face of a, an eagle. And there's another face that I'm forgetting, of a lion. And she has this vision of, that's the four-square gospel. That G the Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, and so the cross. That Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's strong. He fills us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then an ox is like the burden bearer, the yoke of the ox, that he are so strong you can carry anything, and that Jesus carried our infirmities, that Jesus heals us, that he, by his stripes, we are healed. And then the eagle is this majestic, wise animal, and it's that he is coming back, that he's up there looking over us, and he will come swoop down, if you read some of her quotes, and, and take us home. Angelus Temples opens in 1923. It's unlike any church services that anybody had ever seen. You, you'll see a video that we're going to show in a little bit of the building. It was, it's a big, large building. She would do, like, these huge, massive productions, these plays, she would show up in different costumes. She would show up. One time she rode a horse into the church. 
I don't know if you've ever been around horses, but if you've been around horses too long, you know what they do, and I'm sure that horse did what they do in the church, but she would write them in as an example of, and she would use all these illustrations. In fact, she had somebody come in that helped her set up and how to stage and how to coach and how to teach people how to do these productions, and it was just a little-known actor named Charlie Chaplin would come to the church and help her with those things. It'd be like if Tom Cruise nowadays... Well, is Tom Cruise still? Tom Hanks? Okay. One of the Tom guys would show up or what, what's like one of the great female actresses right now? Shows you how much I watch movies. Who? Emma Thompson, yes. Whoever she is. It would be just like her showing up. Michael, what, movie was, what movies has she been in? Still in the dark. <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. About this tall. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so it'd be like some like her showing up, right? Charlie Chaplin shows up and he's helping Amy share the gospel. Now I don't know if he was saved, I don't know, but she was just being creative. It's like I want people, I care more about people's souls than what people think. She was not popular. Because you didn't go to church and do those type of things. She was a little gaudy as far as like what she would wear. These long flowing white robes. She would carry around roses all the time. And you know, from the outside looking in, it'd be easy to judge like, man, you're just like so full of yourself. But the reason why she did it is I've been washed white as snow. That's why she would wear the white. And then I carry these roses because Jesus grew roses in the desert. Where it's impossible to grow anything, Jesus makes roses in the desert. And she would hand out roses to people. And that's why she did what she did. She was an amazing person. She wasn't perfect by any means at all. But she was an amazing person. The four square gospel are these things here. And I think we have another slide. Jesus is our Savior He's our baptizer with the Holy Spirit. He's our healer, and he's our soon-coming king. Like I said kind of earlier, I think sometimes back, even back to 120 years ago, but even today, I think sometimes the church is so focused on everything else but Jesus that we lose sight that there are people that people are dying and going to hell without him. And we're more concerned about what we think about this topic or what we think about this topic or who's in this position or who's in that position. And we forget that people are dying without him. And there's many people, even in the church, that are walking around with no power at all. No power. Because they haven't come to the place where they said, God, I'm so desperate for you. I want everything you have for me. They're just satisfied with, I just am here. It's kind of like this morning. I came into the church, and, and uh, is it fixed? 
So I came into the church, so I didn't break it. I really broke it. So I came into the church this morning, and, and we've had some people coming. The Ellis's have been replacing some of our lights around the church because they're going bad. And uh, they're just they're 30 years old. So if you're 30, I feel, you know, if you're older than 30, and you're not going bad. But our lights are going bad. The ballasts are going out, and it's right now. So we're just replacing them. So I came in this morning, and the two in the men's room have been replaced. And I flicked on the light, and one of them came on, and one of them didn't. And that type of stuff, if you kind of know me, that stuff bothers me. So I came in. I mean, we're talking early, early this morning. I came in. I'm studying. I kind of read through my notes and read, you know, and then I was like, that's really bothering me. I need to go fix that light. So I go in the bathroom, and I get the ladder, and I get it up there, and I figure out how to pull it off, and it's on this little track, and you switch it over, and it drops down, and it's got these two really cool um, wires hanging, cables that hang, so it'll just hang there, and so you can... Like, look at the wires, and the wires looked okay, but one was a hair long, so I thought, well, I'll just undo the wire nut. I'm on a ladder. It's six-ish this morning. I'm working over my head by myself, and I touched the wire on accident. <laughs> Anybody ever touch a wire on accident? Yeah. So, you know, it's just one of those little Holy Spirit moments where like, ooh, Power! I've got the power. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I almost fell off the ladder. You know, you're kind of doing that thing. And I was like, Phew. well, that wasn't too bad. So I cut, recut the wire, crimped them, got them shoved back in there. Still didn't work. Took the other wire off. You'd think I would learn, right? Touch the wire again. More power. It was awesome. No. Got it back together, still didn't work. So I gave up. I was like, all right, I'm just going to put it back up there and slide it over. Did that, I remember I told you it had the two wires, cables hanging down. So as I'm sticking it up, and I'm working this right here in front of my face, and I stick it up there and I start to slide it over, and massive light and spark right in front of, my, right in front of me. And one of the wires, cables, had touched somehow one of the wires up in the box. And it seared the wire right off. The, not the wire, the cable seared right off and just swung down as hanging like this, right in front of me, this far away. Bright orange. I mean, as hot as it could be. And I was like, whoa, that was close. So then I had to go get some more tools and Gently stick it all back together, and then Doug is going to fix it at some point. Okay. All right. So we have a broken light in the bathroom. So here's my point. As I'm looking at that this morning, and I'm thinking of the four-square gospel, and I'm thinking about us as Christians who follow Jesus, there are many of us that follow him that are a lot like that light in the bathroom, that there's no power. That we're hanging there. We look okay when the switch is off, but when the switch is on, then nothing happens. And that's when we talk about the, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not one gift. It is living every single moment filled, like that passage in Romans 15, 13, that says, Man, God wants to fill us with this joy that's overflowing. 
and peace and hope. And he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gives us that so we can get up every single morning and walk with him and follow him. And as we get into in the next few weeks, we'll talk about what is the Holy Spirit's role in our life. It's incredible. And it is a, a powerful role. I, don't, I personally don't want to just be hanging there with no power. I want to be plugged in and have all the power coming to me that is offered. And that's what we'll talk about. I'm excited about Foursquare because it is not just something that stayed locally in Southern California and like spread up the coast. The Foursquare church is bigger in the world than it is in the United States. And you'll see, we're in over 150 countries. If you track all the way back to the beginning of early 1900s to the movement of the revivals, over 600 million people have come to know Jesus through that. It's an incredible, incredible movement that God is doing. And so I love being part of something that's bigger than me, that's bigger than us, that's bigger than Renton, that we can actually partner with. Like, man, we are literally changing the world. We have a video that Foursquare has put together. It's inspirational because, again, it just talks about what God is doing all around our world, not just here. And what I love about what was happening in the revivals is it didn't, you know, like I told you about Pastor Seymour, he could have really easily slid back into segregation. And like, well, so when he started that church, but he says, no, the gospel doesn't talk about segregation. The gospel is for all. And so what was so amazing in the, in the revivals is that every color showed up in that church. It didn't matter what your economic status was. It didn't matter what your social status was. You could be Charlie Chaplin or you could be the homeless man on the street and you could come in and, and seek Jesus and be filled with him and be healed by him. And that's what was happening. Every color represented, every social and economic, was, they were there. And all were welcome to come in to the church. So let's watch this video together. In over 150 countries around the world, we are there. Sometimes publicly, in churches, large and small, gathering in houses of worship, schools, flats, and parks. Sometimes in the shadows, working in the darkest reaches of the globe to free captives, empower the helpless, and care for those the world's overlooked. We may not look the same, sound the same, even think the same, but we're one movement, one tribe, compelled by the love of Christ. We're instigators. Valdir Falcone, standing in the streets of his majority immigrant town with a simple sign, letting passersby know they are loved and welcome in greater Boston. Beth Ivester, engaging in the unique culture of her Portland neighborhood by creating Swap and Play, a place for families to bring their children and find support in community, beginning spiritual conversations through her local business. We're activists. Brenda Keene, spending her days in the dusty slums of Nairobi, Kenya, pulling women out of unthinkable situations, giving them jobs, dignity, and a new identity in Christ. Juan Muskis, 
overseeing a training center in Tijuana, Mexico, where former addicts, cartel members, and drug traffickers are trained as pastors before being sent home to their own communities. Changing and saving lives in one of the most violent cities of his country. We're evangelists. Justin Matera, a Brooklyn-born and raised graphic designer with a passion for his hometown. Starting a church in the heart of his city to reach a generation so easily swallowed by the glamour and pressure of New York. Opening doors for those that have long since left the faith. Isan Osbek, leading the largest evangelical organization in Turkey, putting his life on the line daily to ensure his fellow Turks hear the good news of Jesus. Ministering to the growing number of refugees in his country, and encouraging believers in closed countries throughout the Islamic world. How does such a diverse tribe exist? It started with our founder, Amy Simple McPherson, who took a very different approach from the evangelists of her time. She chose a message of hope over fear, preached to both the social elite and the down and out. She fought to destroy racial, gender, and socioeconomic barriers. And we continue that fight to this day leading the way in opening up new countries, establishing churches in our forgotten urban cores, empowering both women and men as pastors, and raising up indigenous national leaders to oversee missionary works. Amy utilized technology, media, and the arts to spread the gospel. She wanted to build a church that interfaced with contemporary culture instead of shying away from it. She envisioned a church that would grow stronger over time, always progressing, always centered around the Bible and its transforming power. And that spirit remains alive today. We're a church for today's world, a church willing to take risk, to go places others won't, to embrace people others fear, to try things others haven't. This isn't just pastors and missionaries. This is the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And that means each of us regardless of profession, talent, income, age, or gender. Each of us plays a role in spreading the message of Christ to our world. Because we are Foursquare. And this is church reimagined. Yeah. Isn't that good? Some of you recognize people in that video. Yeah. Was that your friend from Kazakhstan? He's the national pres president of Foursquare or leader. Wow. Yeah. Amazing that we're part of something way bigger. And I just love that phrase that if you just caught it, it's the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Doesn't matter color, doesn't matter status. Everyone needs Jesus, and it's that simple. Everyone needs Jesus. And so I really want to encourage us as we dive into this over the next four weeks, as we look at Jesus as Savior, that our eyes and our, and our just thought process, we would, it would change, that we wouldn't care so much about some of the stuff that we care about, and that we'd really start caring about the people that drive by our church the neighbor that lives right next door to you, the person that works right next to you or with you, that we would think of them as eternal souls that are lost and dying without Jesus. And then that we would do whatever it takes. Amy, 
even though not perfect, she did everything she could for people to be saved. Now, did people show up just to see a show? Yeah. They would, you know, five thousand, three services, 5,000 people at each service. But people's lives were being touched and being changed. And so I want to encourage that some of you might be like that light in our bathroom, that you're hanging there, but you have no power. And my encouragement to you is that you would ask God, that you would desire, God, would you just work in me? Would you fill me up like we, like we read? Fill me up with that peace, that hope, and that joy. And so I can follow you, that I would have compassion for people around me. That we would be like the early days of the revival, that we would be convicted of our mistakes and our sin and the things that separate us, that, that cause our hearts to be callous and turned away from God, that we would be convicted of those things and then we would want to be filled and walk with him on a sing, every single moment basis. But then there's some of us that might be watching or that might be here that's never made that decision. The very first box is Jesus the Savior. You've never made that decision to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I need to give my life to you. I've tried everything else. Amy made that decision at 17. She thought about science, but she chose the God of science. Some of, many of us have made that decision. Maybe some of us need to kind of recommit that decision that we made years ago or maybe a short time or maybe it was a long time ago and just say, God, I want to walk with you and I want to be filled by you. So I invite you to stand with me just for a moment. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I really want to encourage you this morning. So just put yourself in a place where you can relax just in this moment. A lot of times I say, close my eyes or close your eyes with me. And I just do that because I get distracted really easy, you know, like squirrel, you know. But just, you can have, there's nothing magical about having your eyes closed. But some of you need to make that decision to follow Jesus. You've been hanging around, you've been watching, but you haven't personally made a decision to follow Jesus. And in the craziness of a world that's going on right now, what a wonderful time to be able to, like, put a stake down and say, in the craziest time in our world's history, I chose to follow Jesus in September of 2020. And so maybe that's you this morning. You just need to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And there's prayers that have been written out that you can follow, but it's really as simple as acknowledging God is God. Acknowledging that you need his help and receiving what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf. And then it's a commitment to say, God, I'm going to follow you. Every single day I'm going to get up and say, all right, Jesus, a brand new day. I'm going to follow you today. And that's what it means to give your life to Jesus. It's a heart thing. It's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. Some of you are hanging out. You look okay, but you have no power. And I believe that God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And I'm going to let him decide on what he gives you and, and all that stuff. I want to make it simple. God is God, and he will do 
in you what he wants to do if you are willing to say, God, fill me again or fill me up for the first time. I want that immersion into your presence. That's what I would call baptism. It's this like immersion. I'm 100% in. And God will fill you to overflowing. And so it's not just for you, but it's for those around you. And it, will, it like will literally like bubble out of you, and people will want to know, why are you joyful right now? You'll be in situations, and God will give you the perfect words to say to the person that's sharing with you. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? It came from the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through you because you are willing. And that's just a simple prayer to say, God, I just want more of you. Would you fill me up? I'm tired of hanging around. I'm tired of being that light that doesn't work on the ceiling. So Jesus, our prayer this morning is that you would do what you do. And Lord, I pray for those who are, are thinking about or have made the decision to follow you, Lord, that you would fill them up as well. At the same time, just this total immersion of, yes, I surrender, but yes, I am filled with everything that God has for me. And Lord, I pray that you would surround them with those who are, who are following you, that are moving towards you, and that they would be, again, they would just be empowered. And Lord, I pray for those who need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, who have said yes to you, but kind of kept their feet in both places. Yes, I'm, yes, I'm a Christian, but uh, I like all my other stuff too. But God, that there would just be an immersion, that there would be a filling, that there would be this passion just for more of you, that there would be this desperation for more of you in our lives. And so, Jesus, some of us pray that prayer this morning, a desperation for more of you. Lord, my personal prayer is, that, Lord, that you would work in the lives of all that are watching and all that are in this room, including me, and that you'd be stirring in us, that you'd be changing how we think, that you'd be changing the motivations of why we do what we do even. God, some of us are like those mules. We're pretty stubborn. So, Lord, I pray that you'd retrain us, that you'd retrain us, that we'd surrender to you, and that you'd work in us to do the things that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I love you guys. I'm excited for this series. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Blessings.